Welcome to another Emerging Cricket Podcast Men's T20 World Cup Team Preview Special. Coming up, we discuss Scotland and their chances at the tournament. A reminder that we're still releasing the weekly show wherever you are listening to the pod, so don't miss those. And our content continues to roll on EmergingCricket.com. Finally, join the many who have joined us on Patreon. From as little as $2 a month, you can help us grow the game outside its traditional centres. For more, log on to Patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket. But for now, enjoy another World Cup Team Preview. Well, we are just days away from the Men's ICC T20 World Cup. Our preview today is Scotland looking all things Scottish cricket at the moment, coming in in relatively good nick. Uh, And I think confidence is high in Group B. They'll be taking on the likes of Bangladesh, PNG and Oman. And with me to talk about all things Scotland and the T20 World Cup, joined by two members of the EC family. First, a familiar name on the pod and a familiar voice, Nick Skinner, better known as Copernicus Cricket on Twitter. How are you? I'm very well, Bez. I'm very excited to be uh, doing more of these predictions and uh, I'm sure getting everything wrong. Uh, I've been tossing and turning not only pre-prediction but post-prediction and the remorse that comes with all of that, (laughs) especially looking at, at someone like Namibia at the moment. Also joining us here on the pod today, One of our key contributors here at Emerging Cricket, I'm sure you've read plenty of his work thus far in his EC career. He's also got an article lined up with Callum McLeod as well, which is, uh, as someone editing it, uh, had a lot of pleasure reading. Malha Harty, welcome to the Emerging Cricket pod. Yeah, thanks, Bess. Really excited to finally make my EC pod debut. Um, I can't wait to watch Scotland at the main row and beating them again. (laughs) Let's have a look at their fixtures for the first round all at Al Amarat obviously the Oman Cricket Academy ground the 17th against Bangladesh that's day one of the tournament that'll be after the PNG Oman match that's held on the same day then they'll play PNG on the 19th and Oman in their last group game on the 21st looking at it and just eyeballing it now boys to start with that last group game against Oman shaping up as likely to be a fight for second place in that group if we were probably being honest with ourselves and the AC community, Nick, looking at this team, they've definitely got the group of players that can progress to the next round and go beyond. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about their squad in a minute, but I think that point about the you know the, the last day shootout against Oman is, is a good one because I think they do have a lot of experience in this group and they have uh, a lot of matches under their belt in terms of pressure situations where they need to win. Uh, we'll talk about their run in the qualifiers a bit later on as well, but um, they've done it before. So that would probably be filling them with a, a bit of confidence, although you know Oman's a, a tricky opposition at, at the best of times. So we'll see how that goes. We'll have a quick run-through of the squad and then look at the qualifier. Kyle Kutzer, captain in the side and likely to open the batting the right-hander. Richie Barrington, Dylan Budge, Matty Cross, Josh Davey, Alistair Evans, Chris Greaves, Michael Leask, Kellen McLeod, George Munsey, Safian Sharif, Hamza Tahir, Craig Wallace, Mark Watt, Brad Wheel, Michael Jones and Chris Sol. Michael Jones originally a reserve. Chris Sol still a reserve. Uh, Michael Jones has been brought in with Ollie Hares missing out through injury. Injured himself in the field just a couple of days ago in, well, heartbreaking scenes really to, to watch him have to, to give up his spot due to injury. I don't really know what to say about it all. He continued to play in that game that he was injured, Nick. Played on, fielded and then batted and, and clearly didn't look right and 
as a result, he's heading home. It's not great news for Ollie. Very strange decision, really. You'd think, you know, <laughs> barely a week before the tournament starts, you'd you'd pull him off the field straight away. Although, you know, according to the commentators, uh, the ICC regulations meant that he couldn't be replaced on the field. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we, we don't need to get into that. <laughs> uh, don't get me started, Nicholas. <laughs> Looking at the way that they qualified, we'll come back to that prep in, in a moment with the, the matches in UAE. But when we spoke to Carl Kutzer last... I think one of the things he actually took out of the qualifier tournament was that his team still managed to churn out victories when I think when they were honest with themselves, they didn't play anywhere close to as good as they they could at that qualifier. They did a lot of catching up later on, as Nick, you've mentioned in the prediction notes. But Mala, I'll start with you. It's almost consolation for Kyle Kutzer to be able to sit there and say, look, we didn't play our best cricket at the qualifier. We still did more than enough to qualify for this tournament. So if we can put the pieces together, we've actually got quite a competitive team and we should be able to to go out and beat just about anyone that comes up against us. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. It was a mixed bag for them. Uh, sort of a tournament we sort of look back on and you think that it was sort of there and thereabouts. Three wins and three losses in the group stage. And uh, I think they, they delivered against the UAE in the third qualifying spot uh, when it really mattered the most. And George Munzee swept the UAE away before a pace-heavy attack could... Uh, I mean, they, they skittled down UAE. But I think uh, the, the first game against Singapore, where they, they lost narrowly by two runs, uh, it, it sort of set a story because a lot of times uh, they haven't really chased down totals well when they really should have. And I think it's it's true when you look back on the 2016 edition as well, when they lost against Afghanistan and Zimbabwe. And their uh, margins of losses were really 14 runs and 11 runs. So I think it's their inability to sometimes close out the games that's, that's really got to them. It's been a bugbear of Scottish cricket. In the last 20, 25 years, looking back to something like the 99 World Cup as well, when they qualified all the way through to all the 50-over World Cups and the T20 World Cups, Nick, it's it's been almost the final frontier for Scotland. They're always one of the strongest associates around. Always a pretty well balanced side when it comes to associate cricket. They just haven't been able to translate that into the full member victories at global tournaments. The record speaks for itself. You know they're still hunting for for a pretty strong campaign. It must be said. But you look at this group and you would probably say that top to bottom there there is enough there to really make headway in this competition. Yeah, and you know, you, you think back across those tournaments they've been at, and it, it's amazing that they were, had to wait until 2016 for their first win in an ICC global event. So, uh, you know, that kind of says that they've they've just been serial underperformers when they get to the big stage. And I think, you know, as I mentioned before, they they have a lot of experience, and you know, you would hope that um, they can add to that uh, that tally of victories at at world events because you know they do have the experience and they do have. A lot of guys who can perform under pressure. So if they keep not winning, I, I, it's not because the team's not good enough. You know, they've they've. This is probably the best team that Scotland's put up for a, for an event that I can imagine. Uh, you know, in recent times at least. And so if if they're not winning games here, I don't know if you know when will they ever win games. Between the T Twenty World Cup prep in UAE and also playing Cricket World Cup Super League on the fifty over front in Oman, it's been a pretty solid campaign for them thus far. They were washed out against Oman in one of those Cricket World Cup Super League matches where they actually looked in a relatively good spot to steal a victory away from home. But looking at this team, Malab, and we'll start, I suppose, from the top of the order, Kyle Kutzer, and I know the term anchor is 
one that a lot of people find a little bit confronting when talking about T20 cricket because there's only 120 balls and what is the purpose of an anchor? But when you've got as much hitting around you, a la the Munsies and the McLeods of the team, having someone as a rock at the top of the order like Kyle Kutzer, who also leads the team, he's almost the, the perfect man for that situation in round one of this tournament. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, the, the thing is, I think Kyle Kutzer, as you mentioned, has been a rock. You know, I think it's it's really important you have an anchor. Uh, they already do in Richie Barrington and Callum McLeod. But at the top, uh, when you have somebody like George Munsey really uh, going nuts at the other end, uh, it's it's. I think it really allows uh, Kwadzer to play his shots. And I think the problem is uh, Kwadzer hasn't really been in the form lately. But you know that's something. I mean, he's at least better than Nogan Morgan. Uh, some people would argue. <laughs> so I think it's 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 really important that his his captaincy experience. I think is. Something Scotland would would like to draw on instead of his batting returns at the moment. Oh, you never know. He might give himself a role as well. <laughs> uh, well, we, uh, he's um, listed as a right arm fast medium in the uh, in the in the squad, which is I thought was quite interesting. But um, the... I think I think even he would admit is generous. <laughs> <laughs> he hit a couple of 50s in the Cricket World Cup League 2 series uh, against Oman and PNG. So he's not, you know, completely out of form and he has played a bit of cricket of late. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say he's, you know, as you said, it's not got to Owen Morgan levels of uh, of worry. A big game player too made that huge 100 against Bangladesh at the World Cup in 2015, that match that unfortunately they, they couldn't come up and grab that victory. Nick, do you think a result like that against an opponent that they're playing against again in this World Cup, admittedly in a different format. Do you think that's almost in the back of minds of a lot of those Scottish players thinking, oh, you know what, this is our chance to exact some sort of revenge from that 2015 defeat? Well, I mean, if they do beat Bangladesh, that'll throw the group wide open, won't it? You know, I'm I'm thinking, you know, they're probably going to have to win both of their uh, two games other than Bangladesh. But if, if they can get that in the bank, then you know, who knows might happen. And you know, it's... Um, I think, yeah, as you said, that they did lose them. I think they probably, if they're honest with themselves, they didn't bowl very well. In in Bangladesh's chase was just a bit too easy, and they could have won that game. And and it's just this thing, as I said, that at these events they just haven't put it all together and uh, you know played as well as we all know they can. And so hopefully they can do that and you know, show the world what they can actually do. Name that's been brought up already, Richie Barrington, who's found himself in some good form heading into the tournament. But looking at the middle order in general, uh, as I think a point of strength, I think in comparison to a, a number of other associate members, they certainly have the batting depth to get themselves out of a hole if they do find themselves two or three for not many. Looking at someone like Callum McLeod, very good player of spin, and it they think it comes from his hockey background. We know he's career trajectory is an odd one in that he started as a fast bowler he couldn't fix up his action he turned to batting he's bowling sort of part-time off breaks now but batting is he, he has to be one of the best players of spin in the associate world and I look to that innings at the 2018 World Cup qualified for the 50 over tournament where he played Rashid Khan with probably with ease he's probably the best player of Rashid Khan I'd seen at 50 over cricket combine that with success against England as well in that big upset in one day international cricket. Malha, he's certainly one of the plays in that middle order who has the credentials, has the runs in the bank. Now he's the opportunity for, for him to really show that at a global tournament like a, a T20 World Cup. Indeed, I, I agree. I think he's, he's played a few tournaments, franchise leagues in the UAE. I think it was the Afghanistan Premier League. Yeah. But um, 
I think with with McLeod, uh, when I when I spoke to him recently, he said that you know he wants to uh, try a few roles in the middle order. He was more a specialist number three, but as he has done away, uh, when he's gone away and played uh, in county cricket, uh, the T20 Blast, he's had to adjust to a lot of different spots, uh, be it at Sussex or Kent, Derbyshire. Uh, he's he sort of batted in the top order, opening the batting, and then also in the middle order as late as number six. So I think he's somebody who can really change the tempo. And the thing with Barrington and McLeod is that if once they are set at the crease, their their strike rate at the death really goes up, something around 150. And that I think is uh, really key for Scotland because at the moment they only have I think Michael Leask as a designated finisher. So you know that's also something that McLeod might have in his mind. And with Ollie Hare's not in the squad now too, it probably places a little bit more of that responsibility on McLeod's shoulders as well as Barrington to perhaps, you know, churn those runs out through the middle overs. But another player in the batting order that's had marked T20 experience around the world is someone like George Munsey. And we make the joke every time that we chat about George Munsey. He bats like he's late to a mate's wedding. He just wants to get on with it and get the, the job done. But... Nick, I look at George Munsey and he definitely provides the X factor for this team. And, and with Kyle Kutzer, that is just such a dynamic foil Batman and Robin type opening partnership <laughs> that could really do wonders for, for someone like Scotland, especially in this first round and beyond. Who's Batman and who's Robin in this uh, this analogy, Vez? Well, that's it. it, it they'll take turns in that role. <laughs> it just depends on the situation. Um, but yes, I, I think it's interesting that they've they pushed him up to open. He has batted a fair bit in the middle order and has at other times sort of come in at number three or four or, or even done the finishing role. And it, it's it's quite interesting to see how all these different teams are, are managing their dynamic strikers. You know, JJ Smith comes down at sort of around the, the, the six, you know, with, with five overs left kind of thing. But, you know, Scotland figure, obviously, they want George Munsey to be facing as many overs as possible. So they've just, they've just got him opening. And so he... He's very effective at making use of pace on the ball, so he's he's able to um, really up the scoring rate in the power play. And um, no, those reverse sweeps that he's uh, he's doing all the time also mean that he makes it hard. Uh, you know, if you try and slipping an over of uh, you know a bit of part time off spin or whatever early in the innings as well, and so he makes it hard on on that. So he he offers uh, a counter to a number of the tactics. That uh, you know that teams are going to look to to use with the ball. So I think he's a very effective. It's a it's a good decision. I like having him up the top there. Moving to the bowling side, and while we have earmarked the likes of McLeod and Barrington and Munsey and Kutzer as potential key players for this team, on the bowling side there are a couple of questions that need to be answered. Although one of the I suppose the locked-in roles, or two of the locked-in roles that the Scots will have, is Mark Watt and Hamza Tahir as the two left-arm orthodox spinning brothers in the middle overs, you would think, utilising all the slow and low potential conditions of Oman, potentially. Though in saying that, looking at the the grounds in Group A that have hosted a lot of IPL cricket, you would think that those wickets are potentially a little bit more tired than the ones at Al Amarat. But you would still think that given the heat, given that we've had warm-up matches at the academy ground over the past week or two, there should be more than enough spin or the conditions should be conducive enough, Malha, for those two spinners to really make their mark in the group stage. Yeah, I think it's really important that they perform well. It's really important that they do. But uh, so in the in the 2019 World Cup qualifiers, I think 
Scotland owed a lot of their success to you know as much as it did to their opening salvo of Munzi and Koza. I think as much as it did to uh, the pinpoint accuracy of Hamza Tahir and Mark Watt. The the thing is, you don't realize that Scotland need a wrist spinner or anybody else is because of how good they are, Ta- Tahir and Watt. But I think Michael Leask is also somebody who's key because he's he's good for matchups against uh, left-handers. I think Bangladesh will field a couple of left-handed batsmen uh, in, in the top six. So I think even he's key. Uh, that's a, it's a very good spin troika that we're looking at. Yeah, a couple of people off the top of my head at Bangladesh. You know, Shakib and Mohamed Naim are just two players that, yeah, there's potential for leak in there. But Malho as well, you earmarked Chris Greaves as potentially one to watch as well in this group for his wrist spin as well. So what do you think that what do you think he brings to the group? He's a new face relatively in the system. He's made his T20 international debut in the last week. What do you think he brings to the to the setup? Well, I think uh, Chris Greaves adds another dimension to the bowling attack. Uh, he's a bit quicker than you know your conventional leg spinners that you'll be watching at the T20 World Cup. And I think I kind of lose track of how many times Chris Greaves has made his Scotland debut. But I think it was very good to see him make his international debut against uh, Papua New Guinea. And the thing is, he bowled a lot to uh, left-arm batters. And that's not really the ideal matchup for a leg spinner. But uh, what, what really stood out was his pinpoint accurate googlies against them. And as I said, he bowls with a quicker pace. So that's something that'll be really good. I mean, I think it would be a point of difference on slower tracks. And someone that I'm sure that a number of other opposition probably don't know too much about. And in this age of analytics and data and matchups and everything that goes around that, you never know. Someone like Greaves could play a really important part in that teams just don't really know how to come up with a, a plan against him, even if he does sort of fit the mold of a, of a normal leg spinner. Let's have a look at the fast bowling because I think there are a couple of questions here that we'll only really know the answer to them when the group stage is run and done. Looking to the quick bowlers, who do we see Malha as the potential death bowler here? Because I look at that attack and, and the likes of Ali Evans and co. Safian Sharif is quick in his own right as well. I look at that team and I look at them as a good group of 50 over bowlers and a good group of red ball bowlers potentially who do you think plays that kind of finishing slower ball death overall because that they all kind of fit almost the same mold i agree yeah, definitely i think they lack a bit of variety maybe a left arm angle would have been really a huge point of difference for them but i think safian sharif really is the point of difference because he's really good with his yorkers at the death he proved that against zimbabwe also last month that he's not really lost a lot of form and because of this, he earned a contract with Kent also for a couple of games that uh, that was. But uh, yeah, Safian Sharif holds the key. Uh, maybe Alistair Evans will not make the cut. I think one more uh, name that really stands out is Brad Wheel. Although I don't think he's likely to start, but he had a he, he had an excellent uh, the hundred campaign uh, playing for the London Spirit. I think he picked uh, nine wickets in three games. But I think. Scotland will prefer uh, Safian Sharif and uh, Josh David because that was also the combo they fielded uh, at the 2016 edition of the World Cup. That's really important for them. The the experience more so than anything else, really. Yeah, that bowling combination is going to be quite interesting in the way that they decide who gets a game because, you know, if you've got, I would assume, uh, Hamza Tahir and uh, Mark Watt as, as two locked-in bowlers, then who else are you playing? Um, Sharif, you would imagine, would be, would be a certainty. So you've 
probably only got one specialist bowler left and they might even go with Greaves and play three specialist spinners and then sort of make up a few overs here and there from maybe guys like Barrington and, and McLeod. Uh, or, or, as you said, Leask uh, can roll the arm over as well uh, with, with some off spin. So depending on how you know, conducive to spin the pitches are, we, we could see them play you know, three specialists, um, although you know, they, they do tend to like having two quicks at least. We'll look at the matchups of uh, of the games now, and we'll start with Bangladesh on the 17th, the first day of the tournament. They won't have too much of a side into the conditions, maybe watching on a little bit of the game beforehand. 17th against Bangladesh, 19th against PNG, 21st against Oman. And I think everyone plays everyone. Obviously, that's how the group stage works. But is it almost an advantage, Nick, to play against someone of the strength, relative strength of Bangladesh, know what you have, know what you're capable of, and then going out and playing those last two matches and playing against Oman thinking that there's a very good chance that that match will decide the group and they can almost back end their tournament to really target those second and third matches? Or do you think that, oh, hang on a second, Bangladesh aren't that strong. They're here for a reason in the first round. Why not hunt for blood and really try and, you know, get off the mark early with a, a punch in the mouth, so to speak? Um, well, the, the violent imagery uh, is, is quite interesting there, Bez. Uh, but um, <laughs> <laughs> getting getting a cabin fever in uh, in lockdown. I'm but... not a violent person, I promise. <laughs> no, but um, no, I, I think you're right. I think if they come out hard, they could surprise Bangladesh. And, and we talked about this a bit with the Namibia preview. Playing that full member in the first match is almost an advantage because, you know, if they do slip up, then in their subsequent games, they'll be a lot more wary against uh, PNG and Oman. Whereas if, you know, if they are a bit lax or a bit complacent, then Scotland will be the ones to benefit from that in the same way as, you know, if Sri Lanka do take Namibia lightly, um, then then Namibia will be the ones benefiting there. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think coming out hard, and they do have the batters to do that. Um, obviously, uh, Munzee and Co, as we've talked about, you know, if they can put a big total on the board, Bangladesh, you know, they, they, they rely on a couple of batters more heavily than, than most other four members. So, I think... Yeah, if, if Scotland can put a big total on, they'll, they'll definitely be competitive. And your point about back-ending the tournament, you know, that's, that's what they did at the qualifiers. You know, they started off wobbly, lost to Singapore, uh, you know, lost to uh, Namibia, which got Namibia's campaign off, off and running, uh, lost to the Netherlands on the last day, uh, but they, they just scraped into the final qualifying spot uh, where they, they then thrashed the UAE because... Uh, you know, they obviously were, were up for the challenge on the big day. So if, if they're, you know, coming into the last day against Oman with, with everything on the line, then then they'll probably back themselves. Dare we ask predictions now? Or is there a little bit more in regards to this? I'm just looking at, let's say the Oman matchup, because I think there's a very good chance that this group potentially comes down to that last game. And, and Malha, I pose this question to you. How do you think Scotland actually match up against someone like Oman? I think if we were to look at this on paper, I think Oman would boast a bit more depth, though it would be remiss for us not to mention some of the key players for Oman who have just so much X-factor. Jatinder Singh at the top of the order, Kawa Ali on both sides of bat and ball, Bill Khan is a name that in the associate world would probably send shutters through a few batting orders and then you've got the the new kind of wave of spin in Oman. So for Scotland and, and assuming that this Oman game is the most important and crucial one in their group campaign, how do you think they stack up against them? 
I think it's down to uh, the bowling attack. I feel because look, Scotland are very well acclimatized to the Oman conditions, having played the Cricket World Cup League too. I think uh, their their pace attack uh, really excites me because uh, we talked about the matchup that you have to use against Scotland, and if you use too much spin, which I think Bangladesh will do so against George Munsey, but I think. Uh, Oman's pace attack. You have Fayaz, but Kalimulla, Bilal Khan. That's a it's a very good depth there. So if they go hard against uh, Scotland with the pace attack, then I think they can really choke them. And as we have seen, you know, Scotland sometimes do tend to take the bait when uh, you know when you throw a lot of paces at them. So I think yeah, I mean the batting wise, I don't I don't doubt Oman. Uh, they can. It's also down to how they play uh, Mark Watt and Hamza Tahir. But I think it it's down to how their uh, pace bowling attack uh, handles. Kudzer and Munzi at the top. Yeah, I think you're right about the pace attack for Oman. That'll be key for them. That's always been their strength. But I think the big question will be, uh, as as we sort of touched on earlier, the pace attack for Scotland. And you know, if they are bowling you know, a bunch of samey right arm mediums, that might allow Oman to get going. Uh, whereas you know, it, let's say that they only play Watt and Tahir, and maybe Tahir has a bad day or Watt has a bad day then their bowling attack suddenly looks very uh, pedestrian and, and I think Oman will be able to put up a big score against them. So it'll, it'll all depend on the, I think, on the, the strength of the Scottish pace attack, funnily enough. All right, time to put our metaphorical money on the table, fellas, and a few predictions. I'll go first. I think Scotland finished second in the group. I think they'll do enough to beat Oman, even in Omani conditions. They'll give Bangladesh a run for their money, might not get the job done. And I think there will be comfortable winners over PNG. So that puts them at second place in the group for mine. Mala, I'll start with you. Uh, how do you think uh, the group will go? Uh, I think we can all collectively agree that Group B is far more easier to predict uh, than Group A. But I think uh, Scotland will finish second. As you said, they could give Bangladesh a run for their money. Simply because I see uh, George Munsey will be quite excited to face the Bangladeshi spinners up top. But yeah, I think Scotland have it in them to beat Oman and Papua New Guinea. And the thing is, they've played both the oppositions in recent times. So they know their attack. They know the plans. Uh, and Shane Berger is quite known for that. You know, he's very analytical in that, in that sense. So I think Scotland should do well to reach the next stage, which I think they should have done in the 2016 World Cup as well. But this time, they'll know what's at stake. Yeah, my uh, my prediction on our EC spreadsheet a couple of weeks ago had Oman going through, and I'm you know I'm I'm stubborn, so I'll I'll stick to that. But um, yeah, just looking at Oman's prep against Sri Lanka, I don't know they they're starting to make me doubt myself. But uh, you know, let's say that uh, Oman's pace attack uh, knocks the top off Scotland's batting order, and and they can polish off the runs quickly, and uh, poor old Scotland end up third. Uh, you've got what I've got in terms of looking at Namibia in Group A, where I've put it on record that I think they'll finish third. And now I look at everything on the balance of probabilities and just their pure ability and think, oh, goodness me, what have I done? Fantastic, boys. Great having the pair of you on, Nick, once again, and Maha making an excellent debut to the EC pod. And, of course, make sure to read Malhar's piece on Callum McLeod and Scotland 
as they gear up for the tournament. That's everything today in regards to Scotland. Of course, three other team previews already out across your usual listening spots, so make sure to listen to them. We also have Papua New Guinea and Ireland to come. And for all the news in the emerging game, both in and outside of the T20 World Cup, make sure to visit EmergingCricket.com. But for now, on behalf of Malhar Harty, Nick Skinner, and myself, Daniel Beswick, enjoy the rest of your day.